Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canada's Great War, where I look at Canada in the First World War and how it changed the country forever. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every single Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, as well as From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday. You can email me at craig at canadaehx.com, find me on Twitter at Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and on Instagram at Bairdo37. Dating back to the early 1700s, the first German immigrants began to arrive in Canada, and they would settle across the country over the coming centuries, integrating themselves into communities and helping the country prosper. The descendants of German immigrants have changed Canada in many ways. Some notable Canadians of German descent include Katie Lang, Randy Bachman, Jack Layton, Rob Niedemeyer, Donald Sutherland, and even future Prime Minister John Diefenbaker. Over 2,000 Germans would settle in Nova Scotia between 1750 and 1752, and 10,000 fought for Canada and Britain between 1776 and 1783, Between 1874 and 1911, 152,000 German-speaking settlers came to Western Canada, establishing 100 German settlements. Until 1820, the majority of German immigrants came from the United States, but after that, things began to change and immigrants began to come from Europe directly. The Canadian Homestead Act of 1872 opened up the country to many from Eastern Europe and the Austro-Hungarian Empire. By 1914, 400,000 Canadians were of German descent, and half of those had been born in Canada. In Saskatchewan alone, 14% of the population was German. Despite these huge contributions to Canada through the years, as soon as war was declared, all of that was forgotten as anti-German hysteria swept the country. The night that Canada entered the First World War, anger towards Germans in Canada began. In Vancouver, the German consulate had been surrounded by a crowd and attacked. The article would say, quote, The big double-headed eagle above the door of the German consulate office in the power building here was torn from its supports this afternoon by an angry crowd of men, which invaded the consulate offices with threats of destruction. Having destroyed the insignia of arms and trampled on it, the crowd left in a peaceable manner after breaking the glass and defacing the signs on the consulate door. End quote. At Westboro on August 9, 1914, a group of Germans were flying the German flag when several residents walked over and hauled it down. The next day, another flag was back up, and the citizens once again tore the flag down and burned it on the spot. On the third day, the flag was up again, and a larger group of citizens marched towards the property to tear it down, and tempers were described as enraged. One of the men on the property took the flag down before they reached it, and the Germans were told under no uncertain terms would the German flag be allowed to be displayed in the future. Various orchestras would refuse to play German music of any sort, and public schools removed German language instruction from classrooms. Songs by German composers were removed from schools as well, and some dog shows wouldn't allow Dachshunds to compete. When the United States invaded Iraq and France didn't join their coalition, Government cafeterias in Washington renamed French fries and French toast as Freedom Fries and Freedom Toast. We all laughed in Canada, but that same thing happened here. 
In Winnipeg, residents began to refer to hamburgers as nips in order to distance the food from its German word. Even German professors were fired at various universities and some returning veterans would actually attack Germans or people they suspected of being German. During harvest times, there were rumors that Austrian farm laborers were going to set fire to the prairie grain crop to hurt the war effort. A letter to the members of parliament stated that there were German-Americans who were massing at the American border, ready to invade as soon as they were told to do so. One German professor in western Ontario who volunteered to speak at recruiting rallies was rejected on the belief that he may be a spy. In Fernie, British Columbia, miners chose to go on strike rather than work alongside Germans who had been in the country for years and just wanted a better life for their family. That was a situation not only found in Fernie but elsewhere. In Nanaimo, miners refused to work if the company employed any Austrians or Germans, and the company complied firing all of the miners with German or Austro-Hungarian roots. On May 14, 1915, the Royal Alexandria Canadian Pacific Hotel dismissed all of its employees of alien nationality, which included several waiters, chefs, and the assistant head waiter. Arrests would also pile up with many Germans being arrested over the first years of the war. Those arrests were often just of people who were confused, had poor English, or were living their lives and someone had just suspected them of being an enemy spy, especially at the start of the war. On August 26, 1914, one German man named Charles Knapp was arrested in Vancouver. He'd been arrested after trying to send a telegraph message which authorities said was in code, and when asked, it was stated he gave no reasonable explanation and he was turned over to immigration authorities. On November 13, 1914, a German man was arrested in Moose Jaw while he was walking along the Canadian National Railway track. He stated he was Russian, but the article says that he could not understand a Russian interpreter, and he was sent to Regina. On August 19th, a German man was arrested in Brighton, Ontario, and detained at Kingston because he had pictures of bridges. When asked, he said that he had been living in Canada for three years, and his work was as a traveling photographer, and he took postcard views. In Pembroke, Ontario, a Lutheran minister was condemned publicly for addressing his congregation in German, and everyone ignored the fact that his oldest son was currently serving in the trenches of France for Canada. There were even worries about Germans working at places where soldiers would spend money. In one letter to the editor of the Vancouver Daily World on August 23, 1917, H.F.G. Park states, quote, If there are enemy aliens in charge of our moving picture houses, it is time we did something to stop it. Returned soldiers frequent these places and they do not like to think that the money they pay for their amusement may be sent out of the country, perhaps to help the enemy they are fighting. End quote. He would add at the end, quote, I would not leave a single German or Austrian at large in the country if I had my way. End quote. The Calgary Herald would publish an article on September 2nd, 1914 about the supposed German spy network. It would state, quote, it is an easy matter to be suspicious of the idle foreigner who persists in hanging around where he is not wanted, but one is not so likely to suspect the apparently honest and hard-working foreigner who takes your meal order in the dining room, drives your car for you, or handles your baggage on train or boat. End quote. All of this ignored the fact that many of the sons of German families now fought for Canada and Europe. Roughly 10,000 naturalized Ukrainians served for Canada as well, including Philip Conowal, who would be awarded the Victoria Cross. More on him later. 
All these accusations were groundless, and many of the German and Austro-Hungarian families who came to Canada, often decades ago, did so in order to escape persecution from the governments that Canada was now at war with. Even individuals who were not even German were accused of being German spies. On October 28, 1914, an unidentified man was taking pictures of the East Block of Parliament Hill when messengers with the Privy Council saw him and notified authorities. The individual was taken before Colonel Percy Sherwood before it was determined that he was just a civil servant doing his job. One of the most notable instances of anti-German hysteria came in the literal renaming of an entire community. Prior to the First World War, Berlin was a modest-sized town in Ontario, and it was home to a large number of Mennonites and German Canadians. Roughly 75% of the population were of German descent, and many called it the German capital of Canada. On August 13, 1897, a bronze bust of Kaiser Wilhelm I was placed in Victoria Park. The Duke of Connaught would visit the community in May of 1914, three months before war was declared, praising the German residents of the community, stating, quote, It is of great interest to me that many of the citizens of Berlin are of German descent. I well know of their admiral qualities, the thoroughness, the tenacity, and the loyalty of this great Teutonic race, to which I am closely related. I am sure that these inherited qualities will go far in the making of good Canadians and loyal citizens of the British Empire. End quote. Within a few months, that sentiment would change. On August 22, 1914, only three weeks after Canada entered the war, three young men went to Victoria Park and took the bust of Kaiser Wilhelm and promptly threw it into the lake from a bridge. It was promptly retrieved by residents of the community, and on February 15, 1916, the bust of Kaiser Wilhelm had found its way into the back room of the German club, but it would not be there much longer. In the evening, roughly 50 members of the 118th Battalion entered the hall and carried the bust of the Kaiser away. As for where that bust ended up, no one really knows. Of course, the bust was the main objective, but while in the club, soldiers smashed a piano, chairs, tables, and windows. Amazingly, the members who trashed the club received no punishment, but the club itself was blamed for causing an increase in passions due to not being patriotic enough in the community. By June, there was talk of renaming the community, with Kitchener serving as the front runner. Lord Kitchener was an icon of the war by that point, but he had recently died when his ship was hit by a sea mine in the waters near Scotland. Several other names were put forward, including Canada, Brief, Imperial City, Georgia, Cameo, Toronto, Ontario, and Ontario City, which would have made the community Ontario City, Ontario. On June 23, 1916, the Windsor Star would report, quote, A large number of manufacturers and businessmen interviewed yesterday favor the selection of the name Kitchener for this city. It looked upon as an exceptional opportunity to perpetuate the name of a late war secretary, end quote. On September 1, 1916, it became official as newspapers reported the results of a referendum when a few hundred citizens chose Kitchener as the name of the community. The Ottawa Journal would report, quote, The post office name of Berlin, Ontario has been changed to Kitchener. This follows automatically the proclamation by the Lieutenant Governor of Ontario that the name of the municipality has been changed to Kitchener. End quote. But Kitchener was not the only place to wipe its German name away. In Western Canada, towns and villages named Prussia, Bremen, and Kaiser were also renamed. 
The Canadian government also quickly began to move towards dealing with what it saw as enemy aliens in the country. On August 7, 1914, the government proclaimed that due to the state of war existing, any persons who assisted the enemy in the country would be apprehended and incarcerated. That same day, the government closed all German consulates in Canada, and all employees of the consulates were ordered to leave Canada within 48 hours. On August 15th, the government then banned any German or Austro-Hungarian reservists from leaving the country, and at the same time, it said it would guarantee that German Canadians would have their freedom in the country and there would be no unwarranted arrests or harassments. Of course, that wouldn't last. The Vancouver province would report, quote, Advices from Ottawa state that the Dominion authorities have decided not to interfere with Germans and Austro-Hungarians who are residents in this country as long as they preserve a neutral stance. End quote. One week later, the War Measures Act was enacted, and soon that promise would be broken. One more on that later. Under the act, 80,000 German Canadians registered, handed over their firearms, and promised to not to leave Canada. One of the worst aspects of this anti-German hysteria was the internment of individuals deemed to be enemy aliens by the government. The first German Canadians would be sent to the internment camps on November 5, 1914. A total of 8,579 of these so-called enemy aliens were interned behind barbed wire in 24 camps around the country, while thousands of others had to register with the government authorities and follow strict rules during the war years. Of those who were put into internment camps, only 3,138 were actually classified as prisoners of war. Everyone else were civilians. The largest camp was located in Petawawa, Ontario, on land that had actually been taken away from German immigrant farmers. This wasn't just something the government looked at, but it was something supported by the citizens as well. In a proposal put forward to the citizens of South Vancouver and North Vancouver, readers of the Vancouver Sun agreed that all enemy aliens in the community should be confined until the end of the war. In Vancouver, the harassment of Germans was actually particularly bad early on. The Rotary Club announced that it would take up the matter regarding kicking Germans out, as did the Board of Trade. German photographers in Stanley Park were banned, and a number of merchants also put up signs announcing that they would not trade with Germans. At a German bakery, all the customers stopped coming, so they were forced to sell everything to their two employees, and several German floral shops were closed for good. Mary Manko, who was born in Canada to Ukrainian parents, mostly suddenly find herself and her family under suspicion by the government. She would state, quote, when Ottawa imprisoned my family, I was six years old. I did not do anything wrong. My parents came to Canada in search of liberty. They were invited here. They worked hard, helped build the country with their blood, toil, and tears. End quote. Mary and her family would be interned at the Spirit Lake Camp, surrounded by 400 kilometers of forest. In that camp, 1,200 people, including 60 women and children, were kept under armed guard for two years. Nikola Sakaliak, who was Ukrainian, was also interned at the camp. Of the experience, she would say, quote, At first they told us we could work or not work as we saw fit. But these conditions only lasted one month or two. Then if you refused to work, they put you on dry bread and water. And if you didn't work, they stopped feeding you. I was convinced that they didn't have the right to act like this. End quote. Along with having their property confiscated, most of which was not returned after they were released, Internees were subjected to hard labor on various projects. These included clearing bush, building roads, and even building a portion of the golf course at the Banff National Park. 
Conditions were bad enough that on May 16, 1916, prisoners at the Kapakasing camp near Cochrane, Ontario would riot. A total of 1,200 prisoners rioted over the conditions they were forced to work in, leaving one person killed and 13 wounded, including four Austrians. Ignoring the reasons for the riot, the Montreal Gazette instead reported, quote, The reports said that the prisoners who refused to go to work became very menacing and the soldiers had to take extreme measures, end quote. Most internees would be released in 1916 due to labor shortages due to the fact that so many men were being called up to the front to fight. One such camp to close was the Brandon Internment Camp, which closed in July of 1916. At the camp there were 95 German prisoners, and the Germans would be sent to Morrissey, British Columbia, and 25 other prisoners who were put to work on the Canadian Northern Railway line. By this point, the number interned at the camp had decreased from 1,240 a year previously to 218 to 95. By the end of the internment of those deemed to be enemy aliens, 107 died nationwide, including 6 who were shot trying to escape. Others died from infectious diseases, injuries related to work and suicide, and most were buried in unmarked graves. The anti-German sentiment would also impact immigration and the number of Germans who wanted to stay in the country. Between 1911 and 1921, the number of Canadians of German ethnic origin actually declined by 108,000. In February of 1916, Parliament met to discuss the issue of enemy aliens. E.M. MacDonald, a liberal from Nova Scotia, stated that Canadians believed that in the East, there was a large number of disloyal aliens who were in touch with Canada's enemies. He also stated that he believed some had enlisted with the Canadian Army. The federal government would kick things up a notch in 1917 when it passed the Wartime Elections Act. And while it gave the right to vote to female relatives of men serving overseas, it also stripped the vote from Canadians who had immigrated from countries like Germany. The law, put in place by the Unionist government of Sir Robert Borden, was meant to bring in voters who would likely vote for the Unionist Party, while also removing the vote from those who would vote Liberal. Anyone who came from an enemy nation after March 1907 lost the vote, except if they had a son, grandson, or brother serving in the Canadian Army. Even with the loss of the vote, newspapers spread stories about the worry that those who had existed in Canada before 1902 would organize. The Edmonton Journal would report that there were 75,000 Austro-Germans in the province, and 10,000 still had the vote. It would state, quote, This forms a nucleus for a very active propaganda among the element for those 10,000 Austro-Germans who have the votes in the coming election. And these people are unavowedly hostile to the Union government to conscription and any other form of human endeavor calculated to keep Canada at the front in the Great War. End quote. On April 21, 1918, 3,000 soldiers marched in Vancouver and demonstrated against the use of enemy aliens for essential work at soldiers' pay. The article would state, quote, Why should there be further drain upon the manhood of young Canadians, it was asked, while enemy and friendly aliens prospered on the sacrifices of the soldiers in France? End quote. They also asked that all enemy aliens be conscripted into the army, and if they refused, they would be deported to their native country. For the veterans who fought in France, there was also a great deal of anger towards Germans and Austro-Hungarians. On August 2, 1918, the Great War Veterans Association, which would morph into the Legion years later, passed a resolution that demanded the internment of all enemy aliens not engaged in work of national importance, 
while also restricting travel to within 5 kilometers of their property, heavy taxation on families that were deemed enemy aliens, suppression of all enemy alien books and newspapers, the complete dismissal of Germans and Austro-Hungarians who were employed with the government. In regards to the newspapers, Comrade McNeil of Saskatchewan was quoted as saying, quote, These papers are used by people who are disloyal. We have protested repeatedly to the government, but have received only evasive answers. End quote. Anti-German sentiment was even found on Parliament Hill directly. After Parliament suffered a terrible fire in 1916, the redesign included a memorial to Vimy Ridge on the west wall of Parliament. On that memorial, there are two faces. One is of a masked German spy, and the other is Kaiser Wilhelm, which was described as showing the Kaiser and his secret hand, which the men of Vimy Ridge helped to overthrow. That fire was also blamed on German spies. Later it would be found that the fire likely was started by a staff member or member of Parliament who left a cigar burning in a trash can. On February 5, 1916, the day after the fire, Charles Stroney, who was in Ottawa as a pianist with singer Madame Edvina, was arrested and suspected of being Belgian. Colonel Sherwood of the Dominion Police would state, quote, We have no definite charge to make against him, but the man was at Ottawa and was heading for the United States when taken off the train. He will have to give an account of himself, and he's not the only one. End quote. The article would also state further, quote, Stroney, who speaks with a decided German accent, was indignant over his arrest. End quote. Two days later, Stroney would be released without charges. Of course, when two ships collided in Halifax Harbor in 1917, triggering the biggest man-made explosion in human history to that point, killing 2,000 and injuring 7,000, accusations flew that the Germans were behind it. Accusations that once again proved to be untrue. Within days, on the instruction of the military authorities, the Halifax police force began to arrest German residents of Halifax. Several were under arrest by December 10th, only three days after the explosion, despite no evidence of German involvement. The Edmonton Journal would report, quote, No information has been given out as to the reasons for the arrests, and the authorities refused to say if it was done through any evidence they had secured in regards to the explosion, end quote. One day later, on December 11th, 20 German residents had been arrested upon a military order. I end each episode by looking at a soldier who fought for Canada during the First World War, and today I'm going to be looking at the only Eastern European-born person to be awarded the Victoria Cross, Philip Konowal. Born in Kutskitsky in what is now Ukraine, right on the border with the Austro-Hungarian Empire, on March 25, 1887, Philip would work alongside his father as a mason. After marrying his wife Hannah and having a daughter, Mashika, Philip decided to join the Imperial Russian Army, where he served as an instructor in hand-to-hand combat. After his time in the army was done, he would work as a timberman in Siberia, and then took a job with a Canadian company in 1913. Gradually making his way east from Vancouver working as a timberman, he would lose his job in 1914 and spent the next year working odd jobs. On July 12, 1915, he enlisted with the 77th Canadian Infantry Battalion and left for Europe in June of 1916. In England, Phelps was transferred to the 47th British Columbia Battalion and was promoted to acting corporal. In April 1917, he would take part in Vimy Ridge, 
and from August 22nd to 24th, 1917, he fought at the Battle of Hill 70. It was there he'd be awarded the Victoria Cross, personally presented to him by King George V. Also due to his actions, he was promoted to sergeant. According to the London Gazette, which published a story on November 23, 1917, Philip's section had to mop up cellars, craters, and machine gun emplacements. There was too much resistance, and in one cellar he would bayonet three Germans, and then attack seven more in a crater by himself, killing them all. He then rushed machine gun nest, killing the crew and taking the gun. The following day, he then killed men in another machine gun nest and destroyed the gun. In all, by himself, he killed 16 men in two days and was severely wounded in the process. After the war on July 19, 1919, he was out with a friend in Hull, Quebec for dinner. They left early to look at some bicycles owned by William Artic, an Austro-Hungarian bootlegger and salesman. An argument between his friend and Artic erupted and his friend was severely beaten. Artic then turned to Philip, but using his hand-to-hand -hand combat training, Philip was able to defend himself and he killed his attacker with a single stab wound to the chest. He did not flee the scene, and reportedly when police arrived, he said, quote, I've killed 52 of them, this makes the 53rd, end quote. Veterans soon rallied behind him and paid for his bail in October, and the trial would be delayed three times until it went forward in 1921. At the trial, medical experts stated that Philip was suffering from severe medical problems due to his war injuries. A gunshot wound to his head was increasing pressure on his brain, and experts stated that it was making him mentally unstable. The jury agreed, and he was found not guilty by reasons of insanity. He then spent the next seven years in an institution, and when he was released in 1928, his condition was described as much better. He would eventually work in the House of Commons as a caretaker, and one day Prime Minister William Lyne Mackenzie King saw the colours of his Victoria Cross ribbon while Philip was working. King then arranged to have Philip gain a lifetime job in King's personal office. And Philip would pass away in Hull, Quebec in 1959 at the age of 70. I hope you enjoyed that look at anti-German hysteria in Canada, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Laurieanne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37.
Information comes from Nate Hendley, the 18th Battalion CEF.blog, Ottawa Journal, WarMuseum.ca, Wikipedia, CBC, the Canadian Encyclopedia, Library and Archives Canada, Canada's History, Submerged Identities German-Canadian Immigrants, Maclean's, Ethnic Minorities During Two World Wars, Calgary Herald, Ottawa Citizen, Victoria Daily Times, Vancouver Sun, Edmonton Journal, and the Saskatoon Daily Star. Thanks. We'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.